0: we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've been looking at four things that the church um, devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. We saw this in Acts 2. They, bro- they um, devoted themselves to fellowship, the fellowship. Uh, they uh, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, as well as the final thing, which was prayer. Okay. Prayer. And... Um, We've been looking at, we've been going through this for the past several weeks, and uh, last week we began looking at the thing that they devoted themselves to, which is the breaking of bread. This breaking of bread uh, is the breaking of bread, which had to do with the sacramental meal that they had, not just the meal that they had hanging out and fellowshipping one another. That they did as well. We see that later in Acts chapter 2. But this is referring to the breaking of bread, the breaking of the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. And there's something about that that is very profound because of the fact that it was the fulfillment of what Jesus had spoken to them in John chapter 6 that he, when he said that, you have no life in yourself unless you eat of me and drink of me. And the whole idea that the church was having was out of this world. There's nothing, nothing like it in, in, today or even through history. And that is that we can eat have taken to ourselves, pass into, have passed into us, the life of God. Not just the life of God as an energy or as some kind of substance that God doles out to us, but God Himself. That is hard to even imagine. But I'd like just to, to look at this as we turn to John chapter 6 and then we will pray. Okay, We'll look at John chapter 6 and we'll go slowly um, through a few verses of this just so that we can think about the implications of what it means to be church in this way. Okay, John chapter 6, I'm going to read uh, it from uh, verse 27. John chapter 6, reading from verse 27, I'm reading the at ESV. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, "What must we do to be doing the works of God?" And Jesus answered them, "This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent." So they said to him, whom the, they said to him, "Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform?" Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He. Isn't that amazing? The bread of God is not a bread. The bread of God is He. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. That's amazing. What Jesus was saying to them is this, Moses gave you no bread from heaven. The bread that you ate lasted probably 24 hours at best. And then it was finished. It was as if there's nothing left. You know. But he's saying that the bread from heaven is He. is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. They're used to having this bread being given every day, right? Every day got to eat, 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 eat. What, what Jesus, they were saying, is give us always, always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The bread of life is not words. The bread of life is not energies. It's not prayer ministry. It's not teaching. It's not preaching. It's not fellowship in and of itself. But the bread of life is Jesus himself. By that time, the disciples' heads are already turning. They are ready to bust. Yeah? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, like those guys did in the wilderness. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Verse 41, they start grumbling. The disciples start grumbling. They didn't actually accept this teaching. They they had a problem with it. Even in verse uh, 61, Jesus saw that they were grumbling. The disciples were grumbling. But we're going to skip over a few verses, and then we'll go to the next part. Verse 48, I am the bread of life, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said this in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. It's amazing. What he's saying is this, if you eat this bread, you will not die. You will not have the capacity to die. You can't die. That's an amazing thing. He's saying the bread that Moses ate didn't stop them from dying. He's saying that if you eat this bread, this bread will cause you to live forever. You will step out from this life into the next life without skipping a beat. By the time the disciples, this is completely, up, their brains are all over the floor. So before that happens to us, let's pray. Lord, we welcome you to give us this bread. We ask you that you would cause us to have the life that lasts forever. We recognize that there are many things that don't last. And most things don't last. But you say you give to us the bread of life to such an extent that we will not die. We thank you for Eric, who did not die in one sense, in the true sense of the word. That when he passed away, when he died, he Pass from life to life. And so we thank you, Lord, that this can be ours as well. And so we ask you that even we who remain in this earth wait upon you. We ask you that you would speak to us. And we ask you that somehow by a miracle, what transpires today will not merely be Ourselves receiving words that are true, but that you will cause us to receive your life. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. The disciples, as they broke bread together, they understood the full uh, significance of chapter 6 that we are reading the significance which became so important that of the things that became the foundation of the Church, this was one of them. When you think about it, for many people, especially from the Anabaptist-type tradition, the, the low-Church tradition, the non-Catholic, non-Orthodox, non-Anglican, you know, non-mainline denominations, we have a very low view of um, the sacraments we tend to think about the communion as a memorial, the a memorial, and when we think about a memorial, we think of, of of remembering. But sometimes we forget that memorial, as Cindy was speaking, involves substance—the substance of it, the substance of of things, not just a memory. But the substance of it, the substance of Christ. When we remember, we bring into the present that which took place in the past, so that it becomes real in the present. Yeah? So when we remember and we take the, the Lord's Supper, we have something that is actually very, very radical. Paul saw that the Corinthian church had missed out on that. And so when he said, and we mentioned this last Sunday, that some of you are weak, sick, and have even died, when you should not have. You should not have. You have divisions, you have all these problems in church. What he's saying is this, actually, that should not be happening for you. He's not saying that you shouldn't die or you shouldn't get sick. He said that there are many of you who are here who are sick because you didn't get the bread of life. Even though you came for communion and did all that, it was kind of trivialized to you and you didn't get it. You, there's something you missed. And I believe that what God wants to speak to us today is about something more that the disciples were experiencing when the church was birthed and was, was inaugurated, more than just words and memories. And so you you have to look at John chapter six and connect it with Acts chapter two so that. Acts chapter 2 has more significance. We'll always trivialize the, the, the Lord's Supper. We'll always trivialize it. I come from the, the brethren background in which we just saw the Lord's Supper as a memory, kind of a sentimental memory. But what was constituting the church was more than just memories, more, more than sentiment. There was the power and presence of God that was in there. Now, I wonder whether some of us here I' wondering, i don't quite get much out of this communion i don't I don't see much out of this i I know i'm it's very holy and we are, tend to be a bit more quiet then, and we try to be kind of more reverential and and we don't you know we don't play around with these things, but I don't see much out of that It's like before besides being just quiet and holy and sober and all that I don't quite get out of get anything out of it. If that is the case, I believe that the Lord has something for us today. Yeah? So let's look at chapter 6. He says, Do not work for the, um, for the food that perishes, verse 27, but for the food that endures to ele- eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the God the Father has set His seal. So what he, God was saying is this, we work for all this kind of stuff that actually doesn't last forever. I can imagine if on the day that I die, there is nothing that I can take with me to the next moment. is that? There? There's nothing I can take with me. I can't take my children with me, my family, my wife. I cannot take the church with me. I can't take any money with me. I cannot take my 401k. I can't take anything with me. Nothing, I cannot even take my achievements. I cannot even take my memories with me. I'm going to face that line in death in which everything perishes. Everything perishes. Even if the things that I do continue on this earth, as far as I'm concerned, they perish because I'm not there anymore to enjoy it. If my children go to medical school and if they, they become doctors and they save hundreds and thousands of lives, I, it perishes with me because when I cross that line, I'm not there to, to enjoy that. Does that make sense? Have you ever thought about that? That on the day that you die, there is nothing left on earth for you. Even if there's a memorial, there is nothing left on earth for you. You step into. And yesterday we were looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Paul says, I'm ready. My time has come. I'm going to be poured out. I give up my life. I fought everything. It's all done. It's all done. There is nothing of what I've done that I will bring into the next moment. The next breath that I have, if I ever get another breath, all that is over. Then he says, in the midst of that, he says, henceforth. Wow, henceforth. That means in the next moment, I've got stuff going on. I've got a crown of life. We were talking about that yesterday. But I wanna I wanna I wanna see this. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do that we will work the works of God? Now, what they were they were reminded of when he was speaking about was Ezekiel chapter three, verse three. And then later in Revelation chapter ten, that theme is continued. Ezekiel was told by God, Eat. The scroll, right? Eat the scroll. And Ezekiel ate the scroll. It tasted like honey. It tasted, tasted sweet to him. And when it came into him, it transformed him. So they understand that, right? They, they know enough of the, the, the prophets to understand what Jesus is speaking about. They know that he's intimating something of that. So they know that there is something about eating the Word of God that would cause the Word of God to transform them. And what Jesus is basically saying to them is this. There is something supernatural, something not of this world, not of memory, not of words, not of art, not of, of anything like that, but it's is of me that will come into you and that will transform you. And so they were saying, what must we do to work the works of God? Right? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. That you believe in me. If you believe in me, almost as if you you have to eat me, your belief is to to not just swallow me, but actually receive me, you will do the works and works of God. You will work it, just like Ezekiel ate it. Okay? This is the work of God, he says, that you will believe in Him. Can you see this? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You believe in Him. And when you believe in Him, it becomes transforming to such an extent that you will work the miracles of God. What Jesus is saying is this, I want you to eat the Word of God to such an extent that you can see the results of, the word, of eating the Word of God. If you're not seeing the miracles, then you're not eating the Word. There's so, something missing, there's something of a gap between what you see of the food and what goes into you what you see of the Word of God, and what actually becomes substance of it in you. So Jesus was basically saying, if you actually eat of it, you will know the works of God because in believing it, you will be able to work the works of God. Amen? Just think about it. Right? Just think about it. Just think about it. You know, just think about it. That means that insofar as I'm not really experiencing the works of God, I have not eaten that Word of God. And yes, last week we were talking about this, this struggle that we have. How can I thank the Word of God, which is words, this is full of, full of scriptures, there's so many pages of this, right? And instead of it being just ink or just concepts and thoughts in my mind, it becomes power, it becomes tremendous life of God flowing through me, and it lasts forever. It makes me not die. I hope that as we are talking about it, we get a different idea about the Word of God, that we we don't leave the Word of God as just as merely Scriptures. Scriptures it is. They are Scriptures, okay? Don't get me wrong. The Word of God involves Scriptures, but there is a way in which the Word of God that Jesus is speaking about involves more than Scriptures. It, It involves Himself. Himself. So God is not wanting us to be Bible nerds, just know and study and study and study and send you get degrees about this and, and not experience the Bible as a, as a living word that causes miracles to happen and cause, causes the devil's power to be broken in. Okay? So I'm, we're going for that, right? We're going for that as a church. We are, we, are, we, are, we are not satisfied. We're not satisfied with just knowing words and intellectual stuff. All that's good. Don't get me wrong. There's a way in which if the, if, if, if the Word of God is not, does not comport with reason, there's something wrong with it. It's, the Word of God is not irrational. The Word of God is not emotions. Is, the Word of God is not subjectivity. The Word of God is objective. It is more objective than you, your existence as well. It is more dense, it's more real, it's more resistant than you are. Okay, It's, it's, it's powerful, but there is more to it than that because the Word of God has to do with us experiencing His works. And so Jesus says, the work of God is this, you believe in me. Now I realize that as I was growing up, and especially as those of you who grew up in, in, uh, in houses of faith, and in, 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 in families of faith, we have this meaning, we have this understanding of the word know and believe that's perhaps like this if I know something, it's of a higher level of knowledge than believing. There's a higher level of certainty than believing. Does that make sense? So when I say I believe, usually people will think, I'm not that sure, but I tend to think that it's probably this way. Does that make sense? When we say, I know this, what we mean is, I have the requisite proof and evidence and reasonableness and um, and, uh, and logical um, uh, connection, logical tightness to know that this is real. That's how we use the word believe and know. We think of believe as, as a lower form of knowing. It's a lower form of certainty. So when Jesus is saying, I, this is the work of God that you believe in me, what we tend to do is this, we have to try to believe as much as possible, try to be as faithful and just try to believe that this is really true and that if I can believe enough, then my strenuous belief will cause the works of God to happen. And so what I do is this, I try to be as faithful as I can in terms of believing the Word of God so I can do all the things that the Bible says and all the values that the Bible seems to say and all the things that I should do to be a good Christian and to to good good Christian in society or at home and and, and to to God and to myself. I try to do that because the works of God are to believe. And to believe is sort of a struggle. Don't you think? Come on. I mean, if Jesus says, the work of God is like to believe. (sighs) Okay. I'm going to believe. Right? And so, that's how we look at it. But if God says, the work of God is to know, it may be a different matter. But we tend to think of know as something that is evidential. Yeah? The British those of, those of you who are interested in the British empiricist and all would talk about knowing in that sense. Like we don't really know anything because we don't have evidence. How do you know that you're knowing? Maybe your your brain is just deceiving you. All that you know, it just comes to the brain. What you receive is what comes in the brain, what you're reading off in the brain. And to put it uh, crudely. In. And so we tend to think of knowing in that way. When Hume, the British uh, empiricist, said, no, you can't even know. Because how do you know anything? Because you don't have any con- direct connection. What you know, you think you know, is because your brain uh, registers it. But how do you know that your brain and your eyes are not just something that actually is receiving um, um, impressions and, uh, and, and, and data that's distorted? Right? So Descartes, Descartes also said, what, how, what, if, what if a demon is, is, is deceiving the whole world? How do I know? I have no final proof. So the British empiricists and, and human and all that said, you cannot know anything. Don't even bluff. Don't even try to kid me. Don't tell me that your science and your, and, your, and, your, and your logic and all that can come to me. No, logic and all that. How do you not know that? How do you know that your logic is not distorted? Okay? So there goes knowing. Belief is not that much better. Huh, but we, are in, we are in trouble. We can't even eat anything. Nowadays. <laughs> but what Jesus was say, saying by believing and knowing is completely different from our understanding. What he says is the work of God is to believe. But when, when he says believe, he means to be completely con- convinced of something. That convincing, and I, I'm sure some of you know this word, is apodictic. Yeah, apodictic means it's so certain, it's so convicting, it's so sure that it's more than proof. It's, more than, it's not more than believing in a subjective, subjective way. When Jesus means, when Jesus says, is to believe, what He's saying is that you have been compelled. And you cannot believe anything else. Something came to you that you could not generate for yourself that forced you into it. It's the, and it's the word apodixis, in which when you believe, you didn't even try to believe. Belief came to you. It pounced upon you. It gobbled you up. And you had no, 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 no recourse but to say, I succumbed to this. It is possible for you to have no proof about something but to be apoditic about it, or to be believing. So that your believing is greater than, not, than proof. Is it possible? Of course it's possible. We're constantly experiencing that under the pressure of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, what He does is this, He takes the Word of God, and He makes it a conviction. Unless that actually happens, we're just trying to believe in that old sense. And then we're trying to, 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 trying to find ways in which we can prove that it's true. But that's all in the realm of the mind. The apodices that, 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 that Paul talks about is the belief that comes when the Holy Spirit for, compels you, compels you to believe that to such an extent that you find yourself doing things that you in your natural self would not have done because in the natural mind, you would have been making all the calculations all the time. So when Jesus is talking about the work of God, work of God, believing requires the work of God. If you don't, you may be convinced intellectually about something, but you still don't believe in that Jesus sense. Because the believing that comes from this apodices, this this Belief given to you is being put upon you is something that the Holy Spirit only can do. Okay? So when he says, when you eat and drink of the, the blood and the body of Jesus, Jesus, you are actually receiving me. You're not receiving facts. You're not receiving um, proofs or, or evidence or true statements. You're not receiving propositions. You are receiving me. Okay? So you must be thinking about receiving me, not just receiving the idea. No matter how radical, no matter how fantastic, no matter how clever it is, no matter how revelation it is, no matter how prophetic it is, you have to be receiving not the prophecy, not the revelation, not the scriptures only, but you have to be receiving me. I am the bread of life. The prophecy is not the bread of life. The gift of the Spirit is not necessarily the bread of life until we are receiving Him. Because when He comes in, He will put faith and put conviction in us. Okay? Alright, now, you must be thinking, yeah, but how do you do this? How does this actually happen? Oh, now you're making it harder. You're raising the bar. It was already high enough. Before Jesus says, believe in me, believe in me, I can try, 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 try. But now you're saying, another level? Forget it. No, actually, it requires God come in. And God's re- more reliable than my ability to believe. So let's have a look at this, okay? Let's keep, keep moving. So, do not work for the, work, for the food that re- perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. They ask Him, uh, what must we do that we, we do the works of God? And Jesus says that you believe this is the work of God verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so he said to him, then what sign do you that do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness that is written. He gave them bread for heaven to eat. So what they were saying is this, like, who do you think you are? You Moses? I see you feeding 5,000. But Moses... He fed millions, at least a million, and he did it for forty years. You, what about you? What they were saying is this: How are you going to prove to us? Yeah, how are you going to prove to us that you are the one who's the bread of heaven? And so they were going back into the level of proofs, and logic, and sense data. He was say, what they were basically saying is this give us enough reasons to believe. Give us proofs that you can believe. And Jesus said, forget about it. Even if I can prove to you that I can do what Moses did. Moses didn't even do that. What Moses did was didn't even last. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus, what the disciples were going to, see, they had never experienced this knowing this believing that's apodictic, based upon the word apodictic, the kind of compelling kind of belief, they didn't realize that proofs are not even as close to conviction than that kind of believing that Jesus was talking about. And so later on they say, evermore give us this bread because Jesus says, I'm the bread. Then they realize, I can't go into the realm of miraculous things just by eating bread that God supplied to me every day. Physical bread, the bread even the bread of Moses is not enough. I need your bread. Evermore feed us with this. Feed us with this, always. And The disciples begin to have their eyes open when he, when he says this. By Acts chapter 2, they saw it. They saw it so they could work the works of God. But now they are still not completely getting it. Okay, let's, let's uh, turn, turn to further further verses. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The, 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 the Jews had this long tradition, oft-repeated tradition, in their liturgy, of how Moses gave the, the bread of heaven to them through the wilderness. And Jesus saying, no, that's not even it. For the bread of God is he. Wow, I love that. For the bread of God is he. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You need, what you need is not more bread. You need me you need to be able to receive me. The problem with us always is this. This is the big question. How do I get that word, whether I receive it in my devotions or I receive it in preaching or I read the Bible, how do I get it inside me? Right? How do I get it inside me so, too much, so much so that when it, the output comes, it's miracles? How? I need something more than just The words being attractive. Or being the words being powerful. I need something more. I need it to be receiving something that is so powerful that I change the way in which I believe things. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. The reason why I'm belaboring this point is that I find that many Christians receive words, hear the word, receive preaching, receive the word in the form of whether very artful um, um, enactments of Scripture or elaborate and eloquent exposition of Scripture or preaching. They receive words even for devotions. But I notice that it doesn't necessarily come out as conviction. It doesn't seem substantial. We forget these words. We forget the things that we receive and somehow it hasn't had its effect. And I believe what God wants to do is to cause us to go beyond just receiving the words. Because there's a thrill about words that actually are revelationary. There's a thrill about that. The words are powerful. Words are powerful in and of themselves. But I sometimes think that when we think that these words are powerful, we are the power that we are talking about is a much smaller power than the power that comes from the fact that it is the Word Himself, God Himself. I'm sorry if I'm uh, belaboring this point so much, but I, I feel that it's really important for us to be able to make a distinction between powerful words and the Word of God, which is God Himself, which is, which is He, the bread of life that is He. What we want is receive is He, not just more words that are clever words, not more of the stuff from here. You know what I mean? What we want is He. How is that converted from print, words on a print or clever things to He? It's not enough for us to have very good oration in the in the Word of God or even anointed priest. It's not even enough for that. I need it to be He. Does that make sense? We've got, to be, we've got to be so refusing to be comforted by comforting words, you know? We need something more. We need to be dense, denser with this because when that happens, when you face the devil, when you face sickness, when you face oppression, when you face kickback, when you face the darkness, your word inside you is able to push the darkness right back and cause the darkness to bow down to it, right? So we want this. And so Jesus is saying, unless you, have the, you eat of the Son of God, you have no life in itself. What he's saying is this, all those clever revelatory anointed words that you receive, is not enough. The children of Israel received word after word after word. In fact, they knew the presence of God in the wilderness, but it didn't change them. So what I want to say is this, if we believe that the four things that the church was supposed to be devoted to included the the, the breaking of bread, we are talking about something really much more powerful than than, than we've been thinking up to now. There is something really more there than what we can imagine. And so I, I feel that there's something that we need to do. I need these words to be more than just words. I need something more. And so what Jesus was, was begins to tell, tell them is very exp- ex- powerful. I am the bread of life, verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes me, in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and we do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse forty. 40. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. It's so powerful that you will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for that life is my flesh. And so what Jesus basically says, that you can't, you can't, must up all the belief and the logic new to actually experience the substance. it must be given, and for it to be given. I need to die for you, I need to go to the cross and be broken for you. And so I want to suggest that he has done that for us, that we don't need to stress out to become people of substance. He has already substantiated His love for us. By dying for us, it's already given. There's no price that we have to pay for this. Jesus has given to us. But what we have to do is to not be satisfied that we understand the Bible just like that. Or we have good thoughts about it. What we have to do is to receive Him and eat of Him. Let me just take you on on, a, on an aside because uh it may be instructive. Many of you know Proverbs chapter twenty two, verse six. I'm just gonna read this. Proverbs twenty two verse six. Daniel's faster on the screen than I am on my on my pages. Train up a child in the way that he would go. Train up a child in the way that he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What he's basically saying is that the the the, 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 the preacher is saying is that if you train up a child. You can do it in such a way that when the child is old, he will stick with it. The way is the Hebrew word direct, which, which has to do with the pathway, the, the the groove that that person is on. You know, the, the groove that. The word "train up" though is very interesting because it it is the word "kanak," okay, "kanak," which means. To masticate or to chew your food until it's broken down, and you take that food and you put it in the child's mouth. So the food needs to be broken down. Broken down. It's the way it it means actually, literally, to rub it into the palate, rub the oil or rub whatever you're rubbing into the baby's palate, right? You rub it into it, into the bed, until the the baby has a feel for it. Until it's, it's before the baby even takes a road, takes the path, at the entrance of the path, you you rub it in. It's a Semitic word that also I- implies the practice of the, the mother, or, the, or usually it's the mother, she rubs the dates. You know, dates, right? I don't mean calendar dates, but dates that Uh, Sweet, nice to eat. Rub the dates into the palate, rub them into the before the baby sucks anything. It also refers to the practice of rubbing olive oil upon the baby's tongue, also breaking down the food. I know it's gross to many of us, you know. The, The mother eats it and all the food gets all broken down and then she feeds that. The train, kanak, has to do with breaking it down, okay? Breaking it down, so much so that the baby gets accustomed to that feel, that taste. And so that the taste of the baby is is, 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 is is attuned to dates. You'll never find a baby who doesn't like dates because of that. Because it's been rubbed into it. Rubbed into him or her. Does that make sense? you rub into it until... When the baby grows up, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That baby will have that taste in their mouth. To hear from God and to receive from God is, is to actually to train. The train is to actually hear the food, or oh, sorry, not hear the food, taste the food to have it rubbed into you again and again and again and again and again, and again until it's 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 absorbed. It's absorbed into the, into the mouth. And I want to say that for us, those of us who are parents, the Lord actually has it for our children to be able to hear the voice of God. What's happening is that this training, the kanak, is training the instincts of the child so that they can hear from God. They hear it not by going into that proof thing that we were talking about, that proof of knowledge and, and knowing that's in the head, but it is It comes by habitual rubbing in. Rubbing in. Rubbing in is so important for us because as we do our devotions, we hear from God. What we need to do is to hear and hear and hear and hear and rub it in and ask the Lord, "What are you speaking to me? Yeah, why is this possible, and what has been preventing me from experiencing this?" I have to rub it in, right? Rub it in. Unless I can answer the question, why is it? This word did not become real to me. And what's preventing me from that, I won't be able to have it rubbed in. The resistance, the resistance to this will will keep it locked for me. So that the word of God is still locked. But God has given to us, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom, we can unlock it. So what I see of Konak is that there's an unlocking of the food, the unlocking of the essential goodness of the food that needs to be broken down. It has to be rubbed in. That is why it takes time to hear from God. You have to wait for it. And when you're waiting for it, you have to be surrounded by it. Today, in, uh, during the worship, it was great because we, we, uh, we, we were talking about the fact that light is flowing. Light is flowing. Light has information. It has all this. It has the, it's the, the energy of God. The, 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 the power of God is flowing in. We can't see it but it's still flowing in. When you do your devotions, it's flowing in. Does that make sense? It's streaming in. The fact that you can't interpret it, you don't have a decoder yet, is not the problem, not the issue. Just because you, don't, you haven't decoded these, these wavelengths and all the information in the, in the light does not mean that He's not speaking to you. What do we say? Oh, the Lord hasn't spoken to me. He doesn't speak to me, right? No, He's actually speaking to you, but you're... your your intelligence of slightly lower level. And because of that, even though it's streaming in, you can't get it, right? But you just wait. Until it's rubbed into you. Okay? Until it's masticated and you chew and chew and chew and chew. It will not come to you by any one of your efforts. You only have to stay there and soak in it. And if you do, Keep your eyes as much as him is asking the Lord, Lord, give me the key. What is it that prevents me from experiencing this great thing that I can do, I can have from you? And then you ask another question, which is, what are you releasing? What are you releasing to me? You wait there. You can't come up with an answer. The idea is not to actually try to figure it out ourselves when we try to figure it out ourselves and to try to, to figure out what the, the Lord is speaking to us, we call this solipsism. S o l i p s i s i m, s m, Solipsism. It's almost like talking to yourself, thinking to yourself. It's a closed system. I'm just talking to myself. I'm trying to think it out. But what we have is an open system in which we're not just talking to ourselves, trying to figure out how to apply the Word of God or to be, or to be faithful to the Word. We are opening ourselves to God and God is streaming in light into your quiet time, you have to wait for Him. If you don't wait for Him, you will be solipsistic. That means you will come to your own answers and you will unlock the door door yourself. The lock yourself. And you will get nothing else. Amen? And so when Jesus is speaking about this fact, He's talking about, among other things right the the waiting on him, and what happens is as we wait upon him, we begin to experience the noisy waters, begin to calm down. Have you been there when that happened or if, or has it always been choppy for you i I, I yearn for that. I pray for you every day this congregation that we will experience the calming down of the, the, the noisy words and voices and thoughts and distractions and and all these other things, if you wait upon Him, He will calm the storm. He will be the bread of life. And you don't have to stir within your own solipsisms, your own, own, th- own thoughts, and try to see whether you can apply the Word of God yourself. Because with that, you will only have you know, um, your own thoughts. But what God does is that He calms it down. During daily prayer, those of you who have been there, you understand that what we've been doing is that we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord and, and and keep allowing ourselves to be surrendered to the Lord. We spend most of the time doing that, worshiping the Lord, not just praying all the things that we want to pray. Okay, that's fine. God loves us. He loves us as children. But He wants to bring us to maturity where we learn how to follow the Holy Spirit in worship until It's as if the sea becomes calm. Becomes calm. And the presence of God is rubbed into us. If you don't have time for that, you will not know what it is to experience the silence that is pregnant with God's voice. I can't do it for you. I can't teach it to you. You can't teach it to yourself. You have to experience it every day. It is rubbed in until it's strained. It's trained into you and I. That's why we do daily prayer, because it needs to be daily. It needs to be daily until we get so undisturbed by the fact that our minds are all over the place. No worries, Holy Spirit's here. He's here to calm it down. You just wait. Eventually, it'll calm down. And when it comes down, it's almost as if the sea is is like a like a sheet, just like that. When it's there, the Lord can give a tug on it and you can see. Yeah? Sorry, I'm not speaking English. When it's a sheet, when God tugs it, you can see the tug, you can feel the tug. Most people can't feel the tug because their, their, their sea is still choppy. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing in our daily prayer. Because when that happened, I've seen it in the churches that I've been involved in. When, when my church as a corporate body experiences that, and we are seeing this now, suddenly, after being quiet for a while, everybody's speaking out the prayer of faith because the prayer of faith or conviction is jumping up like dolphins over the, over the horizon of the sea. It's just jumping up and jumping up. People praying these things because they are things that came not from themselves, from God. I would want everybody to experience that because in the days to come, you will need that or else you'll be so confused by all the spiritual principles and you can't tell which one is applicable now. But it has to be rubbed in. Parents, I want to put it to you that this is something that we can experience. The Bible says, that same um, passage in John chapter 6, says, your children will be taught of the Lord to hear from God. And we have found that in our own family, that if our children can hear from the Lord, there will come a time when they become adults. It comes come really fast. All my children are adults. They become smarter than you. They know more than you. They're more logical than you. They're less sentimental than you. They don't have the same hang-ups that you have. And they come to a point where they are. They have to make their own decisions. And it is not appropriate for a parent to tell them what to do because they're adults and as parents we face that scary point in which okay you are on your own you're going to marry whoever you're going to marry hopefully in the lord and you make decisions with your husband or your or, her, or his wife and i have not a say in it that It's good that they listen to our advice. But what's more important is this. They are left. They're released. And they can choose whether they want to follow God or not. They will choose. We have found that when they can hear from God, they can hear from someone more reliable than us. And there are times in which we want to give them something And they will seek the Lord and they will say, No, you shouldn't be giving this to us because the Lord wants us to believe God for this or that and all that. We can sometimes even have arguments with them because we want to give them something and they don't want it because the Lord spoke to them. I believe that God wants our children to become like that. But for that to happen, hearing from God, is the integration point for all these other things. You can train your child to be a good child, to worship, to be involved in church, to do all these things. These are really good. But the most important thing is to hear from God. Amen? You got rub it. So that when they're old, they will not return. They will not depart from it. Amen? So what Jesus was speaking about when He says, I want you to eat of Me, is a sway in which we kind of wait upon Him. We allow Him not only to speak to us words, but we ask Him, Lord, I need you to break this down to me. What is it you're actually saying? I need you to not give me just an answer. I need you to give me yourself. And when that happens, there will be times in which I've seen it many, many times with our own children. They will have a conviction Okay, they have a conviction. And there's absolutely no proof about it. There's no proof. And from someone outside of their space, it looks like they're taking a terrible risk. It looks like, as parents, we want to, hey, 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 just take it easy. When Elisa wanted to go to Peru, she, was, she had just come back from Malaysia. And she had a terrible time with a terrible stomach and She was so sick. Every time she goes on, 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 on to a place that's of a high elevation, um, she gets really sick. And as parents, we say, no, don't go, don't go, don't go. But she heard from God, you see. And God said, go. So she went. Everyone in that trip got sick except her. And God, Holy Spirit moved. Holy Spirit moved. People came to the Lord through her ministry. I believe that God has better for us. But if our words, we're so satisfied with inspiring words, it's not enough. We need God. Amen? Open up ourselves to Him. And as parents, we can masticate the food. And that is why as parents, we need to be able to hear from God as well. Yeah? We need to hear from God and allow ourselves to be trained. One of the things about daily prayer is that we are going to be Continuing to train us to, to allow the Holy Spirit to train us, so that we learn how to know when we come to the point where the silence of God, where God silences every other voice, comes. I would love for all of us to be able to meet there. Once we we've identified that, then the hearing from God doesn't become confusing. So many people t- tell me, "I can't tell the difference between my voice and God's voice." the voice of the flesh, of my mind, oh, oh God, you will if you, if you come to a place in which silence comes because God will silence that so that you feel the tug. Then it becomes loud and clear. And you don't even know why you believe it. But believe catches hold of you. Amen? Now, as a church, and this is my last point, we want to work the works of God from this. From this apodixis, From this apodictic thing where it comes, the conviction comes and we become more and more bold with it. We become in the way and our instincts are trained. Amen? Let us pray. I believe that we all have a hunger for him. Let's open our hearts to Him as we pray. It's an old song we can all sing together. more of Him.
1: We keep on singing we want more
0: of you, more of you but we don't know what to do and the Lord says I've already done everything for you He's here. He was always here. And all those times when we couldn't feel him, couldn't see him, couldn't see or perceive the rays of light that were streaming constantly, he was here. He was more here than we were. But spiritual things sometimes take time. And so I want to welcome you to commit yourself soaking in his presence. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That when you put your word in us, And there comes a time when we are so old that we can't remember. It will still be there. Thank you that it will outlast our memory of it. Our understanding of it. And it will join us henceforth beyond the grave. We thank you that you have so much more for us, for our children. And so we ask you that you would rub it into us right now. We avail ourselves to that rubbing in as we wait on you. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name, Amen.